1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens. Hi. I mean, you sounded like you were going to say more stuff. Am I here just by myself? I don't know. Sometimes I think you wish. Well, that's true. Just saying. You said like this, hey, welcome back to Killer Queens. And I was supposed to know that that's where I chime in? Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Now we know. I'm learning. Everybody knows. Where are we in relation to things now? This is between... Betwixt. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yes. hmm Hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Simply having a wonderful holiday time. But I also think this is the last... For me, I'm going to get a little depressing here probably. This is the last time of the year that I feel hope because mm. after Christmas, it's like until summer, until spring, mm-hmm. when it like starts to warm up. I hate everything. Yeah. It's, it's just dark a- too early. It's cold. It's dreary. Tennessee is just gray mm-hmm. and it rains all the time. It really does. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So <laughs> we will right now... Be happy and hopeful, and then come December twenty sixth, that's all going to go to shit. Yes, the only saving grace there is Letterkenny new season. That's true. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it really does. So, uh, all right, shall we get into it? Oh my gourd, I'm ready. This is a very heavily requested case. I had no idea anything about this bitch. I didn't either. I'd seen people in the group post some of the links to like his video like the confessions mm, oh and God, everything because he he recorded a lot oh, I was like Lord, no. what video yeah no his confessions and people are like oh yeah you know you can see when he starts to figure out that he's you know caught and stuff like that and people recognized him just from like the image of the video and I'm like I don't know who this person is I do not and he's got a very strong distinctive jaw so mm-hmm. I can see now I would pick him out of a lineup but yeah, before I didn't sure. know who he was So this case was requested by Dante Matthews, Katie, Jess Campbell, Sam Tomaso, Darlene Smoliak, and Hey Girl, Hey Bob Nelson. Yay! I'm going to try to, at some point, talk about a taco shop. I'm going to (laughs) try. All right. Let's get into it. And thank you to Sloan for research and writing this episode. All right. We're just going to dive into like... We're going to pull an Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter says, start at the beginning and when you get to the end, stop, stop. So that's exactly what we're going to do here. Yes. Russell Williams was born on March 7th, 1963 to David, who went by Dave Williams, and Christine Williams in Bromsgrove, England. Dave Williams was a British metallurgist who was known for being outgoing and a charmer Christine Williams was also British and was a tennis player. We have done so many cases where the dad was a metallurgist. Isn't that wild? Like, what even, like, is, what even is it? Yeah, a exactly. Yeah. But it's like, I've never seen that word in my whole life. It's like, when you're like, you know what? There's not really many white cars on the road. And then you turn around and you're like, well, there's a white car and there's a white car. And I have a white car. I didn't even it's realize like You it. shatter the glass. Exactly. And then, yeah, they're everywhere. So it's like. What is a metallurgist? He's everywhere. He's <laughs> everywhere. Okay, so they had Russell and they had his brother Harvey, who I believe was older, but that was it. Just the two, two dudes there. The family immigrated to Canada where they met another family and became total BFFs. This was Jerry Savka, his wife, Wynn. Nope. Wow. Oh, wowie. <laughs> <laughs> I was channeling like if my two-year-old was reading this. Wee-wee, the secret (laughs) weapon. A Wauwi pop. Oh. Yeah. His His wife, wife, Lynn, and and their kids who were about the same age as Russell and Harvey. Jerry and Lynn and Dave and Christine were active couples, and Dave and Jerry even raced dinghies. Wow. Their dinghy was named International Fourteen. Now that's using your dipstick. (laughs) What a what a creative name. International 14. It was (laughs) like eleven, The first first 13 wrecked, and so they're like, okay, International 14. (laughs) All right. Jerry Savka had graduated from MIT and he worked at Chalk River Labs with Dave Williams. Together, the Williams and Savka families, members of the Deep River Yacht and Tennis Club, attended dances. Apparently, these dances got pretty racy. Dirty dancing. Sounds like it. One source said you could start the night dancing with your significant other and end the night dancing with multiple people in different relationships. Now, that's not as racy as I thought. <laughs> yeah, so it's just dancing with other people? Just swapping dance partners. Bob Prince says you need to dance with the one that brought you. That's true. But it's like, yeah, it's so racy that like, I even, I even danced with another person while my husband was in the bathroom. I spoke with someone of the opposite sex (laughs) tonight. (laughs) Like, okay. I mean, I think at least for these people, there was a little more going on than dancing, but. On October 31st, 1969, when Russell was seven years old, Christine Williams filed for divorce, and this was during a time when you had to name a reason for the disillusion of a marriage. There was no such thing as no-fault divorces yet. Court documents stated adultery on the part of Dave, and apparently he was sleeping with Lynn Sovka. Christine took the boys and moved to Scarborough and then to Toronto. While the reason for the divorce had been cited as adultery on Dave's part, it's pretty obvious that Christine wasn't completely innocent because on June 2nd, 1970, which is eight months after filing for divorce, she married Jerry Sabka. They just swapped the old switcheroo partners. <laughs> yeah. Lynn and Dave's relationship did not work out, but Christine and Jerry stayed together for the next 30 years. Damn. Yeah. In less than a year, Russell's parents had gotten divorced. He'd moved and his mom had remarried. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. And they all did change their names to Savka. I'm not really sure why they didn't keep Williams. I don't know if maybe the boys viewed their father as the reason or, you know, I don't know. But they all changed to Savka. But... Things didn't get much better for Russell um as he got into high school. He was termed a band geek and he was a really good trumpeter. It just doesn't help popularity-wise typically unfortunately. Yeah, it's not the most well-received of hobbies. Yeah. He apparently was very good, though, because in his freshman year of high school, he was promoted to the senior band. When he was in the 11th grade, Russell's stepdad, Jerry, took a job in South Korea, so the family moved there for a while, and Russell hated it. He didn't like anything about it. He didn't fit in there. It was kind of, seems like the same old, same old for him, but just in a different place, and I'm sure that's hard to move. Oh, yeah. Especially being not the most popular, you know, Yeah, he doesn't make friends easily at this point in time. So after a while, they ended up coming back to Canada. And then at that time, Williams was sent to a boarding school called Upper Canada College to finish out his high school education. According to sources, the school, quote unquote, appealed to his more serious sensibilities and it was expensive with, quote, high standards for enrollment. However, the reins were probably loosened a little by the position his stepfather held as a well-respected scientist with an impressive background. Still, Williams did not fare any better with his peers here. His roommates recall that he didn't participate in the typical merriment of college Russell Williams studied, played trumpet, and perfectly and precisely folded his laundry while he listened to the same Diana Ross song on repeat. Wow. Sloan says she's hoping it's I'm coming out, and I kind of do too. Yeah, I'm coming out. One roommate said that Williams lacked basic social skills, making it very difficult to have a general conversation with him. The roommate also couldn't remember Williams having anyone that he hung out with or spent any amount of time with. And no one could. None of the people that have been interviewed about Russell Williams in college could think of a single person that he was friends with. That's sad.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Okay, I just realized that I said college um, there, but that was his high school. It had college in the name. Got stuck in my head. My bad. Yes. Because now he is actually going to college. So after... Attending there, he attended University of Toronto's Scarz. I keep wanting to call it Scarsboro. Because you want to say Scarsdale. Scarsdale, that's what I'm trying to say. I was like, what am I doing here? Scarborough is where... What is her name? Something Homolka? Oh, Carla Homolka. Yeah. Carla Homolka, yeah. A University of Toronto's Scarborough campus and was assigned to share a place with five other guys. Once again, Russell Williams started off on the wrong foot and his OCD tendencies and controlling behavior came out in full swing. While his roommates were basically unpacking, Williams had created a schedule for chores and announced that he would be buying meals that week. He told his roommates that they would be sharing the duties of cooking and they would rotate jobs. And they're like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? I just moved in. Like that kind of personality literally grates on my nerves. Like you, I don't want somebody to appoint themselves the leader and then tell me what we're doing. Mm-hmm. especially on a goddamn vacation, somebody being like, hey, here's the itinerary. I'm like, I will wake up and tell you what I feel like doing today. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. Russell. I know. He's very like, Sun said he's the Monica, but less endearing. And I would say much less endearing. Yeah. He just sounds so, it's aggressive. hmm The way that he's an abrasive, the way that he's doing this. I don't think that he, in his mind, he was thinking, what's going to get me friends? But he's sure doing everything in his power to not have any friends if he's acting this way, yeah, and it's just very like,
0: okay, rigid, his
1: way or no way, like yeah, like you've moved into my house, and it's like, no, we all equally live here, like we all just moved in, I don't yeah, you don't get you don't get your way all the time, yeah, what makes you the leader of this this establishment? yeah, but what's weird is that he is a younger sibling, and a lot of times that mm. comes with birth order because. Firstborns are natural leaders, I think.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And secondborns are typically like, okay, what are we doing? um, You better shut up. Bitches. Stop it. Hey, I'm just reading this out of a birth order book. No, you are not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're calling my ass out. (laughs) It says so. It says so. Uh -uh. I also read that firstborns are not supposed to live past the age of 34. (laughs) Yeah, but that's because clearly you're about to murder me. Clearly. Clearly, Williams was described as orderly, focused, and authoritative. He even got his roommates to wear slippers in the house. Well, it's his way or no way while they're living under his roof. <laughs> yeah, right? I wonder if he could get dogs who had previously been allowed on the couch to not get on the couch anymore. That's a lost cause. You can, you can fight that battle all day long. It ain't gonna happen. Yeah, but I mean, you think he could do it? He got college dudes to wear slippers in the house. That's true. Did he even wear co- or use coasters, though? Mm, that's a toughie, isn't it? Yep. They called him names like Drill Sergeant, Sergeant Major, or Mother Goose. Then, in 1987, one day, for no reason in particular at all, he just sort of changed. All of a sudden, he was like a prankster and a jokester. And, I mean, he was still uptight, but he wasn't as uptight. As uptight. Or he had qualities that, Made him endearing. Yeah. Maybe it's something that takes years and years. And then he's finally comfortable enough to make a joke. I don't know.
0: Strange. Yeah.
1: Very weird. He, I mean, he still didn't party. He still studied like a fiend and he still folded his laundry with military precision, but he did play like practical jokes on his roommates and kind of had that like, okay, there's a a more fun side to him too. So he's less mother goose and more silly goose. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow, good job. Thank you. That was good, right? Right on the spot there. His former roommate, Jeff Farquhar. Oh, Mm-hmm. Lord Farquaad. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Farquhar <laughs> recalled many of his pranks to a media outlet, but a few specific ones are kind of telling, knowing what we know now. Farquhar, Farquaad, <laughs> remember call his time? Jeff, day, call him Jeff. When one of their roommates kept coming home late, so Williams took the locks off the front door and fiddled with the bolt and working so that the front door would only unlock with the laundry room key. How did he do that? I have no idea. He didn't switch the locks. He used the front door lock and re-keyed it, basically. His roommates were a little shocked that he knew how to do this. And this was before you could, like, Google or YouTube shit like this. But it's... I mean, I feel concerned. Like, where does one learn how to do this? I mean, I guess people know how to do that now. You could just Google it, which is super terrifying. I'd never thought about that. I would have had to, like, on... Robin Hoodman in tights and be like, call the locksmith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he could just do that. And then what he goes on to do later, I mean. No. Not using those powers for good. No. Williams was also constantly hiding in his roommate's closet and waiting there for hours before he would jump out to scare the bejesus out of them. Hours? This guy needs a fucking hobby. I mean, that's creepy. Yeah. It's like one thing to be like, oh, I'm walking past your room and you're in the bathroom and you're about to come out, so I'll jump in and scare you because right. I'm a or I hear the boy. keys and the lock and I'm like Yeah. Mess. But it's like, okay, it's three in the afternoon. His classes don't end till six. I'll just pop in here and wait till he gets here. Like, what the fuck are you doing in there, dude? Yeah. Get out of my goddamn closet. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky for me, I don't have any room at all in my closet. So that's true. And And he would have to flatten himself out to a jelly. Yeah, that is just a safety precaution, really. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. Always on my toes. Yep. This became such a frequent prank that the roommates developed a routine of having to say goodnight to each other so they knew where everyone was. That is annoying. That is annoying. I think that that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, you... You got me. twice. Yeah, and then, like, the ninth time, you're like, Russell, stop. Yeah, dude, like, get out of my closet. I just want to go to bed, you weirdo. Yeah. Uh, Well, he he, definitely obsesses over things. Yeah. Once he finds his thing, he's got to do it. Nine hundred. It's like much like the mix CDs that we used to make where I loved Sonique's Feel So Good or the Coors, Breathless. And then I was like, every every CD is going to have it. Yeah. Got to listen to it all the time. Well, I guess now you can kind of see that because it's more like, playlists, you know, and that's kind of what that was, but sure, yeah. Yeah. So he was starting to become, you know, kind of known as a prankster, but he was still really particular about his things and his money. And according to one article, Williams would come back from a night out at a bar and he would like immediately bust out his clipboard and document the money (sighs) that he'd spent that night with a clipboard and everything. He's not playing around. He's like got one of those like old school money machines where you like <laughs> crank it and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And he's like balancing his checkbook. I'm like, dude, we're in the cab on the way home. Yeah, exactly. Like, right now? Exactly. He's like got to know, but he he would never buy more than two beers on a night out. Wow, party Animal. never. And he would always make a note of the amount that he spent on them and what other things that he bought. I guess he's like trying to. Make sure he's getting the best deal, or like I don't know. I'm honestly shocked that he didn't make a note of everything else that his friends bought too. That's true. Russell Williams graduated from the University of Toronto with a degree in economics and I politics. Kind of love the way you say Toronto. Really? You say Toronto. Oh, is it? How do you say it? I just say Toronto. Oh, Toronto. I get yeah. rid of that T. Hmm. Throw it right out the window. I like it. Toronto. 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 <laughs> okay. All right. That's All just silly. Right, Enough of that. All right. So he graduated with a degree in economics and politics in 1986. And it was around this time that he met Mary Elizabeth Harriman. The two would later marry on June 1st, 1991. But it didn't seem like she took his name because on the mailbox, it said Harriman and Russell. I mean, no, Williams. Yeah. They appeared to live pretty separate lives just for the formality of being married or whatever. Yeah, I guess. With the formality of being married. Yeah, it was very strange. I mean, everybody said they seemed happy enough, but that's kind of the term they used, happy enough. Like, Yeah, it kind of feels, it has the vibe that's like, well, you'll work. Yeah. Like this fits. Mm -hmm." Not like this passionate love story where you have to have each other. Yeah, no, I didn't I don't think Yeah, I don't think that was the case at all. Cuz it very much was like I wonder if he kind of felt like, well, you know, I've graduated college, like the next step is I need to get married and that kind of stuff. Well, he's very structured and he he loves a routine. Mm-hmm. The bitch loves a routine. Also, I think it's telling because it kind of reminds me not the same. Arthur and Susan And she was like, oh, Arthur, you can get drunk all day if you want to, but as long as you marry me. And it's like, I feel like partly that Mary Elizabeth, with his OCD-ness, was like, oh, you. (laughs) He's so funny how he has to lock the door 17 times before we leave or whatever, you know, like how he um, irons my clothes while I'm wearing them. But that's just Russell, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be... And like his uh, Lord Farquhar said that <laughs> he would go over there sometimes, like for dinner with them or whatever. And the coat closet was like every coat hanging the in their coat closet, closet where he keeps his eight balls. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> every single one would have like exactly an inch in between the next one. And they were like organized by like color and thickness and like all that kind of stuff. That's telling. Have you seen American Psycho? Mm, mm -hmm. That's true. Nobody is that regimented and precise and doesn't want to murder people. That's true. I think you should put that. Yeah, you should put that like in a thesis or something. Facts. Yes. Yeah. There was a fictional movie about it. So it's, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Fact. After graduation, Williams took a year to kind of gather his thoughts and figure out his next steps. During this year of working part-time at the university and part-time at Red Lobster, he watched Top Gun on repeat, basically. Naturally. Because now it's like he's over Diana Ross. That shit's out the window. It's now Top Gun. <laughs> and it's all Top Gun all the time. <laughs> and then he was like, like... USA, the channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. So then he's like, I know, I want to be a pilot. So... Because his friend Jeff was like, you did all the work to get a degree in politics and economics, and you're going to join the military? And he's like, yeah. Have you seen Top Gun? Exactly. <laughs> like, how the fuck am I going to be in Top Gun if I don't join the military, dude? <gasps> goose. Mother Goose. Silly Goose. Oh, my God. It's a thing. <laughs> he applied for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is the RCMP as well as the Canadian Air Force. And for RCMP, his background was thoroughly checked and cleared, and he did interviews with them. But for him, that was more of a backup plan. And they ended up offering a job, but he turned it down because he had been taking flying lessons and he really wanted to be in Top Gun. He wanted to be a silly mother goose. Yes, he wanted to get in that danger zone. Exactly. By the end of 1987, Russell Williams was in basic training at CFB Chiliwack. Sure, I I'm like saying that, that wrong. <laughs> but, I hope it's pronounced exactly like you said it. I hope it is too, because I hope I don't get 90 messages that are like, it's actually pronounced like Chiliwack sounds delicious, like Chili Mac. Mm. I can't have that anymore. So.
0: Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. You want to talk about bland. <laughs> some about
1: yeah, some yeah, bland yeah. foods. Yeah, let's talk about bananas. <laughs> I can have bananas. I can have all the bananas I want. Of Rice. Yeah. No flavoring oh, on no, it, No, no. Nothing on top of it, no. no. In June 1990, uh, Williams earned his wings and was sent to three Canada forces fighting training in Portage, La Prairie, Manitoba. That was so many words. I feel like I just said a bunch of words and they don't (laughs) actually go together or make any sense at all. (laughs) I'm just accepting it. Yeah. Like, okay. This was just the beginning of his accelerated military career. In November of 1999, he was promoted to major. From August 2003 to June 2004, he earned his Master's of Defense Studies from Royal Military College in Kingston, Ontario. After writing a 55-page thesis supporting preemptive war in Iraq, and upon completing his degree, he was promoted to lieutenant colonel and assigned to be the commanding officer of 437 Transport Squadron in Trenton, Ontario. For the next few years, he would move to different bases and was put in charge of big projects and training new pilots. In July of 2006, Russell Williams and his wife moved to Orleans, which is a suburb of Ottawa while he posted to the Directorate of Air Requirements and served at the, you guys ready for this one? Airlift Capability Project Strategic and Tactical and Fixed-Wing Search and Rescue. Go ahead. Or it's the TFWS Yeah. <laughs> If you want an easier way to say it. Okay, that's easier, <laughs> yeah. S-E-C-R-A-T-P. Yeah. Okay, so he did that. And then in January of 2009, Russell Williams was promoted to colonel, and then in July, he was made commanding officer of CFB Trenton. Among other things, CFB Trenton is also the location where bodies of soldiers killed in Afghanistan would come back and would be the beginning of the funeral processions along the Highway of Heroes. This would be his final assignment and promotion. In his 23-year military career, Williams would be considered the model military man. He had flown VIPs such as Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, as well as the Governor General and Prime Minister of Canada. He was also there in December of 2009 to greet the Olympic torch when it came through. He's had a lot of accolades. He does. And he was involved like in everything. If they had any major event in that area at all. like He was on camera for it. Yeah. And he like, he was at some book signing and he was, there was some, he dropped like the hockey puck at some big game. And well, yeah. And he was doing like uh, press or media spots for that one guy that was trying to break the Olympic or not the Olympic. What am I talking about? Break the Guinness Book of World Records, the strongman guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he's like, like everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he was like the face of essentially the military there. He's in everything. And he's been on pamphlets and all kinds. Yeah. hmm Williams was a colonel and his wife, Mary Elizabeth Harriman, was the senior executive at the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. So they were living pretty plush lives. They had two homes, multiple cars, and generally comfortable lifestyles. But then... But wait, there's more. Yeah, it's like, you can't just have nice things, you know? Well, he's why you can't. Exactly. Because while he's rising through the ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces, he was also leading a pretty terrifying double life. This was a man who'd been trusted to protect and defend his country, but all the while, he was a threat himself. There isn't information on every single one of his crimes, but what we do know is that Williams had been lurking in his neighbor's houses when they weren't there, and he was doing this repeatedly. He would revisit the same houses eight or nine times. That's creepy as hell. It's super creepy. And he used his lock-picking skills to enter homes, or he pushed screens out of their windows, or if he found an unlocked window or door, he'd just walk in. Like- The entitlement of this man. I know. And he also was very careful about choosing his victims. He got as much information about each victim as he could during his multiple break-ins to a house. He would take pictures of documents with information about the victims and pictures of the photos they had around their house with their family and friends. He was really doing some recon on these people he really did he did a lot of recon and what's really crazy to me is that the amount of times he did this how nobody ever like came home early or you know like and some of these times he was naked yeah so that he or i've heard that he would just walk into people's homes stark naked mm-hmm. as keith morrison puts it yeah he just like undress outside of their house, like in the bushes or whatever, walk in, be completely naked, and then get dressed when he walked back out. Like, I just don't know who is that comfortable being naked that they just have to be naked all the time outside of a nudist colony. Yeah. Or Ying Ying, Zhang's murderer's wife. I cannot think for the life of me what her name is. Her name is Michelle. Michelle. Yeah, because his name was... Why am I forgetting it? Crap. Brent Christensen. Yes. Something like that. Good job, girl. Yeah. So, Williams, and he's not exempt from this. He needs to put his hot dog away. Mm-hmm. Sausage goes back in its casing. We don't need to see it. No, no, we don't need to see it. This isn't a breakfast buffet, sir. Oh, no. what? This is an all you can eat English breakfast. No, 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 no. Sausage and eggs need to come back. It's just so weird, though, because like, I feel like with him, I mean, obviously, we're talking about sexual gratification here. Oh, yeah. Eh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not sexually gratified. <laughs> Let's move on. I'm not sure about that. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm just saying the mm-hmm. reason why I said it like that was there has not been a more obvious example of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I maybe also want some Kool-Aid. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, okay, do you remember that show? I don't remember the name of it now. It was like, I you'll know exactly when I say. But the guy who would pop the balloons and he'd have an O every time. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What my Strange, Strange Addiction? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. So he got off every time he popped a balloon or if he just heard somebody else popping a balloon, he would literally, like, it was, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable to watch because they, they would show him and it's just like, I know what's happening in your pants. It's so weird. That's like like something that only needs to happen behind closed doors that nobody's a part of. I know. Unless a consensual partner wants to be part of it. Yeah, yeah. It it was so weird. But it's like he he pulls up to somebody's house or walks over there or however he's getting there. And he goes ahead and like drops trial before he walks in. And I feel like that's what he's doing that whole time. You know, this whole feeling is just like getting him all like fully torqued and it's just gross. Yeah, like keep your pecker in your pants. Is he just walking around like with a boner all over the house? Gross. I don't know. He walks in like forgetting Sarah Marshall and he's like, I've got the surprise for you. And it's just <laughs> slapping. I think that's what he was doing. All over the place. So gross. Gross. His first known break in was in September of two thousand seven. Williams had been friends with the family and was even known to go fishing with the dad and have dinner with them and yet he broke into their house three times. This is a fucking psychopath, yeah, like, but I'm sure he looked at it like this is amazing because I know so much about them and didn't really have to try that much, plus good to go fishing. That's true, yeah, yeah. men love fishing, you know what? You don't crap or eat that's that's very true. In his collection of trophies, Williams had pictures of him lying on their bed while wearing only a bra and a pair of red panties that belonged to their daughter. This is where it took even a, even a more turn. Even, even more. more of a turn. Even a more turn. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of spillage. Mm. Yeah. Can you keep it all in? I think it depends on the size. Like Chandler hanging in. A little out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that he did kind of get off on, though, was like he had a lot of pictures of his Winky poking out of the panties. Ew, that's gross. Yep. And very hairy chest. Very hairy. It's just really weird because if you Google this guy, if you don't already know this case, if you Google this guy, you will see hundreds of pictures of him standing there because he brings his tripod and his camera and he snaps pictures of himself wearing other people's underwear. But it's it's just this burly dude standing there, no expression on his face, in underwear. And he always takes a picture from the front and from behind. Mm-hmm. And he's like, turned. So he, his face is kind of looking back toward the camera. But it's not even like, I don't see an expression on his face that is like on Silence of the Lambs, where he's like, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of like, Next. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like, okay, check that off the list. Okay. Check that off the list. Like, it's just so weird. Like, like this chore that he has to get done. I don't know. Yeah. It's like just part of the process. I mean, he's so very regimented, meticulous. It's like the whole thing is just, yeah, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. And I don't know what he does with those pictures. I can make a few guesses. I don't think we need to but I hope it's scrapbooking. just very strange. So this became his routine, and he broke into many homes, spending hours inside taking photos. On January 1st, 2008, he broke into the house of his neighbor in Ottawa. He knew that this family consisted of a teenage daughter. So that New Year's Day, Williams went into the 15-year-old girl's bedroom, and you guys, this is fucking disgusting. This was the term that was actually used in the article. He quote-unquote sprayed semen on her dresser. Uh. Now, this is a man who later says that he has watched CSI before but is more of a law and order guy. I mean, if you really want to (laughs) know. But he hasn't heard of DNA. Like, everybody knows semen has DNA in it. Well, and... If he wanted to get the point across in a real fun way, he should have watched Super Bad. Exactly. I thought semen would be on everything. Exactly. And their whole point is semen's not on everything. And that's a bummer. But you, sir, are putting semen everywhere. Therefore, and forthwith, you are linking yourself to the case and putting yourself exactly there. Because you can't stop throwing your sausage around. I know. It's just, yeah, put the mouse back in the house. Exactly, <laughs> it's family place. The family place. He also took pictures of himself with this young girl's makeup brush touching his penis. I'm like the most offended about that for some reason. That girl puts it on her face. I know. He didn't take it with him. He left it there. So, yeah, I... That is so... That is such a violation. It's so gross. It's so gross. And like, nobody wants your penis jizz all over everybody. No, it's so gross. And for whatever reason, they actually were not able to get the DNA. He's like, don't worry, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll give you more. Yeah, exactly. He's like, ugh, gross, dude. Williams was very fond of documenting his adventures, took thousands of pictures of himself in the panties and bras he found in the house. I want to say this. You come at me for selfies. Could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. That's true. That's all I'm saying. That's true. Also, did you notice that in so many of these pictures, there were matching sets? Like, I did not realize so many women actually matched their bra and underwear. I just started doing that. Really? I've been thinking about doing that, but that would require buying more, and that's well, a no-go right now, but money's no object to me. Yeah, but I did read an article a long time ago. Heidi Klum was like, you have no idea how good you're going to feel when your bra and your panties match. And Dolly Parton said, you never know where you're going to end up. You could be in a car accident or you could just wake up in somebody's house and you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. That's true. And you in a car accident and they have to cut your clothes off and you're looking a mess. Yeah, You don't want to be uh, in the sweetest thing. It's laundry day. I only got my skanky ones left. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever she called them. Yeah. Stanky ones. Yeah. Like a lot of these were matchy-matchy. I was like, wow, you guys are... You're up in your game. Yeah. Yeah. Me, not so much. No. No. You're a trash bag. Absolutely. In June of 2008, he broke into the home of a 24-year-old woman in Ottawa where he took a picture of his penis strapped to one of her sex toys, which he ended up stealing. This one was awful. I mean, for a lot of reasons, they're all awful. But... This one, if you watch the dateline on this case, they actually talked to her and her friend that lived nearby or whatever. Who seemed to be like a really nice friend, but he also kind of took over the conversation a lot, which kind of bothered me. It seemed like he was into her and she was like, I got this on my own totally. kind of thing. So this is a very like confident, self-assured woman and she's not married and she lives by herself and she's got sex toys and she's not and ashamed she, of that. Yeah, because... Keith Morrison was like, oh, you were embarrassed. And she's like, no, I was not embarrassed. Yeah, and she made a point to be like, uh, no, I was not embarrassed about that. <laughs> like, because... And I admire her for that. I know, me too. And because what happened was she said she, she gets to her house one day, like, after work or something, and they were getting ready to go celebrate her birthday at her friend's house. They were, like, having a party. And she went home to change, I think. hmm And she just noticed that some stuff in her house was, like, off. You know, there was, like... Well, the drawer next to her, like bedside table, uh-huh. the drawer was open. open and she's like, didn't open that. And then mm-hmm. turned looked on the other bedside table. That one was open. Mm-hmm. And, that's and that's where she kept her sex toys. And they were gone. Yeah, and they were gone. And so she said that she called her friend over and was like, hey, I think somebody broke into my house. And so they're in the house and they're talking about it. And they're like, do we call the police? Do we not call the police? Like, And that's when Keith Morrison was like, oh, because you were embarrassed. She's like, no, I wasn't embarrassed, but I just didn't think that they'd take it very seriously. Like, okay, well, sorry, your like dildo got stolen, but like not high on our priority list kind of thing. Right. And so they had this whole conversation about whether or not they should call the police. But so she leaves that night and her friend was like, you're not staying here by yourself. Like you're going to spend the night. I don't want you staying here by yourself. She's like, okay. So she gets home the next morning And there's a message on her computer. And he basically left her a note that was like, yeah, go ahead and call the police. I bet the judge will be excited or I bet the judge will want to see your dildo or your collection of dildos. And she's like, he was listening. He was in the house Mm -hmm. when we had this conversation. And that night, apparently she has a very extensive or had a very extensive collection of lingerie and he stole every piece. It was like hundreds of pieces of lingerie and he took off them all. That is so expensive. That's what I was thinking. I don't know about sex toys. I'm guessing you don't want to have to rebuy that all the time. You know, certain things right. like you want to buy one time, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, lingerie, I know for a fact, is very expensive. Yeah. That's, that's... And imagine just like how terrifying that is. Like, we were in the house and he was definitely in here and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so creepy. Yeah. But... In his break-in photo shoots, he had a pattern down. He would get a picture of the bedroom, a picture of the underwear in the dresser. He would arrange the underwear precisely on the bed or the floor and take pictures. And then finally, he would get pictures of himself modeling the underwear and jacking it in San Diego. Yeah, because you're going to want to get all of that. I just cannot believe that he had that much time. It's ridiculous. William's stash of pictures and panties and sex toys that he stole was extensive and methodically cataloged. It got to a point that he had to burn some to make room for more. He also had them spread between his two homes. When he had to burn some of the items, he still had his treasure trove of pictures that he kept on hard drives in the ceiling above the basement in his home in Ottawa. He also stored them in a deep labyrinth within the files on those drives so that his wife couldn't happen upon them. On July 10th, 2009, Williams broke into a neighbor's home for the sixth of nine times. On this occasion, he entered the house at 1.30 a.m. and watched the young women get undressed and get in the shower. Once she was in the shower, he also got undressed and broke into her house. He crept into her bedroom and stole panties from her. Mm. Williams later said that he had wanted to do more and take more risks now and boy would he but like how scary is that you're in the shower that's like a horror movie 100 it's like the strangers and how they that's what they do to toy with them at first is like just come in and move stuff around you know yeah it's unsettling it's very unsettling i'm actually a little creeped out by it now And like sorry yeah and i like i knew this because i've Read about it. Watched a bunch of stuff on it, and all of a sudden now I'm like, "Do you want to cancel your appointment today?" Because <laughs> hang out with you. I'm scared by myself. Yeah, you picked the wrong profession to go into. Being this scared, it really was not a smart move. But here we are. On one outing, he watched from outside the house as a teenage girl took off her clothes. Hiding in the bushes, he got undressed and masturbated. Ha- like, okay. oh my god. On September 17, 2009, he was escalating. He broke into the home of "quote unquote" Jane Doe. She was in her home sleeping with her newborn baby. Williams broke into the house and beat her up. He bound her and used a pillowcase to blindfold her. He spent the next two hours groping her and taking pictures of her naked, and then he just left. She would be the first woman that he physically assaulted. 13 days later, on September 30th, he broke into the home of another woman who lived three doors down from his own home in Tweed. She was also asleep when he broke in. He bound her, blindfolded her, and forced her to pose naked for his camera just the same way he did with Jane Doe. Both women ended up calling the Ontario Provincial Police, which is referred to as the OPP. Yeah, you know me. (laughs) I know. It's like, could not think of anything other than that. After this, the OPP revealed to the public that they had a predator. And it was after the second call they revealed to the public. Constables canvassed door-to-door to see if anyone had information about the Tweed Creeper. Actually, a really accurate name. Yeah. Then, on November 23, 2009, William's fetishes escalated further. This is when 37-year-old Corporal Marie Franz Como who was a flight attendant for CFB Trenton under Russell's command, who had once mentioned to him that she lived alone, was found dead in her home. Then on January 28, 2010, 27-year-old Jessica Lloyd disappeared. This would be the case that brought Russell Williams down and finally revealed the monster that he really was. Jessica Lloyd was reported missing when she didn't show up for work and she wasn't home, but her car was there. Because of the series of break-ins and assaults in the area, as well as Corporal Marie France Como's murder, the OPP was not wasting any time. They quickly decided that Jessica Lloyd's disappearance was likely connected to the rest of these cases. Thank God. They immediately started a full-scale search for Jessica. In this search, they utilized their resources, which included CFB Trenton's search and rescue team that was authorized by... Drum roll, please. (laughs) Colonel Russell Williams. Well, I mean, it's sickening. And this is the most ridiculous. I feel like this case is a lot of other cases personified and then caricatured. You know, like, it's like the ridiculous, like, blown out version of it because this guy we always say like, oh, they, they insert themselves into the search and rescue or whatever of the crime because they they want to be a yeah. part of it. He's the head of it. hmm Yeah. So obviously, he's not going to be worried about it because he's going to know every step of the way where they are, what they're finding, what they're not finding. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <sighs> so it's awful. A week after the search was initiated, Jessica was still missing. Reports were coming in about sightings of Jessica in New York and Pennsylvania, but they obviously weren't real. Then the witness tip came in that would blow the case wide open for real. A witness reported that a silver SUV had been in the field near Jessica's house the night she disappeared. Better still, there were tire tracks in the snow, and they were distinctive. These tracks would turn out to be on very few cars, one type being a Nissan Pathfinder. So the police set up a checkpoint on Highway 37, which goes right in front of Jessica's house, under the guise of a drunk driving check. So while they had a car stopped, they would ask them questions that gave them an idea of the driver or occupant's whereabouts recently, and they would also check the car's tires kind of like on the sly. Mm-hmm. Driving through that checkpoint on February 4th was Colonel Williams in his silver Nissan Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. hmm Williams told the officers at the checkpoint that he was kind of in a hurry because he had a sick kid at home. So he's like, yeah, totally want to help you guys. I, You know, but I really got to get home because I got a sick kid. So could we hurry this up? I mean, I'm in the military. You can see that I'm no threat. Yes. Okay. I am trustworthy. Can we move this along? Couldn't be me. Yeah. Moved it along. Got my child. They also realized that when they went to, I I don't know if he just didn't think they were going to check any of this stuff out, if they were just going to pass over him because he was in the military, but he didn't have any kids. And they figured that out because (laughs) it just takes well, you can fairly easily find out if someone has or does or does not have children. Yeah. And um, turns out he doesn't. So, but they also noticed that his tires match the ones in the snow near Jessica's house. They placed him under surveillance, but once they went to verify the information he gave them and they figured out that he didn't have kids, they were like, okay, he needs to come back in because now we know he's lied to us. Mm -hmm. At around 3 p.m. on February 7th, 2010, Williams went back to the police station. He was confident. He was unconcerned. He was making small talk. He's joking. He's chewing gum. Just like no care in the world. Mm-mm. He's positive he's walking out of jail that day. Definitely. No problems. Sergeant Jim Smythe. Smythe. Okay, so that's Smythe dear, not Smith. <laughs> yeah. stout fire. Uh, escorted Williams to an interrogation room. Williams was calm, cool, and collected at first, but this changed. So if you want to watch his confession, you can watch like pretty much the whole thing is out there. I mean, a lot of it is out there, but, you know, it's pretty obviously it's pretty drawn out. It's about two and a half hours long. Yeah, this part is. At first, Williams denied knowing any of the women whose homes were broken into or knowing Jessica Lloyd. He only admitted to knowing and meeting Corporal Como. And then he said he only met her once when they flew together for work. So, you know, he's just like met her in passing. You know, yeah, she was at the base and she was technically one of my. What employees or whatever, but you know, it's like a the CEO of a big corporation. I don't know everybody that works for me, kind of thing. The mm-hmm. sergeant Smythe would occasionally step out to get an update from the officers that were currently at Williams' house in Ottawa and his cottage in Tweed, executing search warrants. Williams' wife was at the home in Ottawa, and she was shocked at the sudden intrusion. Smythe also noticed that William's boots matched the footprints in the snow at Jessica's house. Man, he did all their work for them. I know. <laughs> he was wearing the same boots he wore at Jessica's house, and there's fresh fallen snow. Like, what are you doing, man? And like, the guy, the interviewer is like, um, Smythe. Yeah. Yes. He's like, "So, what would you be willing to give us to so that we can move past you in this investigation?" And he's like, "Uh, what do you need?" But uh what what kind of stuff do you need? He's like, "Well, I mean, uh like blood sample, um maybe like a swab, you know, something like that. Um fingerprints, fingerprints, maybe a boot impression." And he looks down at his boot and he's like, "Shit." Yeah. No, yeah, that's fine. Um no problems with the with these boots at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck. Mhm. Why did why do I only have one pair of boots? Exactly. When he found out that the police had been in his house and that his wife was there and upset, he pretty much gave up. By the end of this interview, he was singing like a canary. <laughs> I mean, he, cause he, it literally, like at one point, he's just like, okay, I'm got. And then he's just like, just got got. Yeah. He's like, okay, what do you want? What do you want to know? Yeah. I like to think that his singing went to something, a little something like this. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. But, Smythe asked him, "Okay, well, do you want to start at the beginning? Do you want to work your way backwards? like whatever?" And he's like, "It doesn't matter. Just you just tell me what you want to do like he he just once he threw in the towel, he threw in the towel. It was mm-hmm. just like done. He wasn't going to hold anything back, which is great. yeah he He said he was really worried about his wife and the impact it was going to have on her, and they had just built that house in Ottawa, and he was worried that they were going to tear it apart. Yeah. Yeah. And he just wanted to make the whole process easier on her. He's just like, you know, my thoughts are, you know, to my wife, how this is going to affect her. I'm sure she's going to be obviously really upset. She's going to be totally shocked. And Smythe was so good about it. He was like, me too, girl. I'm worried about her too. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to do this. He was so patient. If you tell me everything... We don't yeah. have to tear it apart to yeah. find things. Yeah, exactly. And then he was also obviously worried about the negative impact it was going to have on the base because that doesn't look good. Well, the whole time he's being interviewed, he's like, I'm I'm hoping for a certain amount of discretion from you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Smythe is like, okay, so you asked for discretion. I'm being very respectful of you, okay? But you got to come clean with me about some stuff. You got to respect me with the same thing and be honest. Yeah. Like you're telling me you have no idea what's happening. You're telling me that you've never been to Jessica Lloyd's house. You're telling me you've never been around her house, anything like that, that you've never been off road near her house. Like you and I both know that's your tire tracks there. And you and I both know that your boots went into her house. So tell me what's going on. Ridiculous. So for the next 10-ish hours, he detailed his crimes. And the next morning, he told officers the location where he had dumped Jessica Lloyd's body. It was 13 minutes from his own cottage. I cannot think of one thing that I could talk about for 10 hours. I know. I don't know. You could probably talk for 10 hours. Straight? Yeah, no, you couldn't. I could. You could. No, I could not. You definitely could. Yeah, you get tired of it. But he asked him, you know... What happened? What, yeah, what happened? How did you pick? Like, how did you pick Jessica? What'd you do to her? Because at this point, they don't know. Yeah, because yeah, they don't have her body yet, and all Can't those things. things. She was murdered. Yeah, yeah, and so he was like, you know, I the day before I attacked her, I was on my jog, and I don't know how. I guess I feel like he had to have been a peeping tom, right? Like, because well, yeah, he said that she he saw her on her treadmill in her basement. Hmm. As far as I know, we don't have basements in Tennessee. There's too much limestone, too hard to break through that. But from what I know from, let's say, home alone, there might be a tiny little window. And it's not just like this gaping hole that you can see into. You have to get pretty close to it and kind of look down and to see it. Yeah. And where her house is, I mean, she lives in a rural area. It's not right up on the road either. It's like kind of off. There's like a field surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So if he's jogging down the road, he's certainly not going to be able to see into her basement. Mm-mm, he shouldn't be able so to. So he was poking around that house because the however many times he had been by it before, he figured out there was a woman that lived there. It's interesting though the way that he, it, even when he's got, he's like, I was just minding my own business. Uh-huh. Just distancing himself. Yeah. yeah. So he said he noticed her on her treadmill in the in the basement So when she was out the next day, he broke into her house. He needed to do some recon. He wanted to make sure that nobody else lived there, that there wasn't a man's belongings anywhere, anything like that. So scary. I know. So he leaves. He parked his car somewhere hidden. He waited for her to come home. And she'd been out that night and she got home like around 10 o'clock, something like that. He let her do her entire nightly routine. And once she was in bed... And asleep, he broke in again. She woke up and he knocked her over the head. He tied her up and then wrapped duct tape around her eyes as a blindfold. That has got to hurt. Mm -hmm. Throughout the ordeal, he took pictures. He assaulted her sexually and then raped her. Not only did he take pictures, but he videotaped the rape. Jessica didn't fight him or argue with anything he said, thinking that this would save her. She tried to appease him and not do anything to make him hurt her more. This is something like these cases, when I hear about there being a tape, I automatically think about the person that had to watch that to get the evidence. Yes. Oh, it's so disturbing. I can't imagine. Yeah. It was the early morning hours when Russell put her in his Pathfinder and drove her to his cottage in Tweed. Once there, he made her take a shower and let her lay down to sleep for a while, but she woke up and had a seizure, which was probably from the blow to her head, which is terrifying. He woke her up after the seizure, and she begged him to take her to a hospital. And she even said to him, if I die, will you make sure my mom knows that I love her? So sad. For a total of 21 hours after she arrived at his cottage, she was assaulted over and over again. Then he gave her food and got her dressed. He removed the duct tape and convinced Jessica that she was going home. He promised he wasn't going to hurt her but he did not have any intention of letting her live. He ended up bashing her over the head with a flashlight and then strangled her to death with a rope. Then he took more pictures of her before driving her to a secluded area and dumped her body on January 29th, 2010. He went to a car wash and vacuumed out his car and cleaned it. Then after he raped and murdered Jessica Lloyd, Colonel David Russell Williams went back to work for he was the commander of Canadian Forces Base Trenton, just like he did after he murdered Marie Franz Como. After confessing in full, Williams wrote a note to his wife that said, I'm so very sorry for having hurt you like this. I love you, Russ. No, I love you. I love you, Russ. <laughs> I did that when I read it earlier too, like when I was just reading through everything, I was like, I love you, Russ. And then I was like, no, I love you. Russ. Commas are important, yes. (laughs) And I just did it again. I love you, Russ. (laughs) And he's like, I love you too, Russ. (laughs) Until he confessed, the police only knew about 17 of the breaking and entering cases. Those were the only ones that were reported until Williams confessed to upwards of 60 break-ins. Good God. In the search of their homes, police found a camera, a duffel bag with a black skull cap inside, a manual for how to pick locks, plus boxes and pillowcases stuffed to the rafters with underwear and lingerie, not to mention the two computer hard drives Williams had hidden in the ceiling of the basement. These hard drives turned out to contain over 3,000 pictures and video clips, including ones of Jessica Lloyd and Marie France Como. Williams had videotaped the beating and murder of both women. Colonel Russell Williams was arrested on February 7th, 2010. And on the next day, he was in court in Belleville where he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of sexual assault, and two counts of forcible confinement. He would later be charged with 82 counts of breaking and entering. He has racked up a long list of counts. Yeah, for sure. 50-year-old Williams pleaded guilty and in a month would have his 51st birthday behind bars. He was also stripped of his command at CFB Trenton due to criminal charges and Canadian police took another look at tons of their cold cases that involved young women and were in the areas where Williams had been stationed over the years. In 2006 alone, there were 48 cases of panty theft that were looked into as possibly being linked to Williams. If it wasn't him, how many people are going around stealing panties? It's disgusting. Right. God. God, disgusting. In April of 2010, guards had to hurriedly enter William's cell to save him. He had taken a cardboard toilet paper roll and shoved it down his throat to attempt suicide. That is a way to do it. I, that's, I've never heard of that before. No, because it's not a thing. Yeah. that's That sounds painful though. Yeah, it sounds like a horrible way to spend any time whatsoever. Because he didn't die, but ugh, that's awful. It would be awful. Six weeks after he was arrested, uh, Williams and his wife entered into a quote-unquote domestic contract. In this contract, Harriman paid him $62,000 cash and assumed the remaining mortgage on the townhouse in Ottawa that they had just bought. Williams would take on the ownership of the cottage and tweed they'd bought a few years before for $178,000. The couple claimed this wasn't in order to protect his assets, but it was to set her up financially. Williams would later sell the cottage for $165,000 in order to create a trust where the money would stay until the outcomes of lawsuits against him were settled. And the person that ended up buying the house turned out to be, coincidentally, his neighbor in Tweed, which was his first... Victim. Yeah, break-in. Yeah, break-in victim. So, kind of came... Full circle there. Mm -hmm. Harriman also filed for divorce during this time, but as far as we know, they're still married. That's not ever gone anywhere. On October 18th, when he entered his actual official guilty plea, it took the attorneys 36 minutes to read the charges. And it was reported in one source that the reading of the facts of this case took so long that the four Crown attorneys had to switch off reading because their voices would start to crack. Jeez. On October 21st, 2010, Williams was given a life sentence with the possibility of parole in 25 years. He'll be in his 70s when he's eligible to apply for parole and will not be eligible for early parole because of his multiple murder convictions. Upon being sentenced, William got the opportunity to talk to the court. He had sat slumped over in a seat until this point when he stood to say... Your Honor, I stand before you indescribably ashamed. I know the crimes I've committed have traumatized people. The family and friends of Marie Franz Como and Jessica Lloyd in particular have suffered and continue to suffer profound, desperate pain and sorrow as a result of what I've done. My assaults have caused my victims to suffer terribly as well. Numerous victims of the break and enters I've committed have been seriously distressed as a result of my having so invaded their most intimate privacy. My family, Your Honor, has been irreparably damaged. The understandable hatred that was expressed yesterday and that has been palpable throughout the week has me recognize that most will find it impossible to accept, but the fact is I deeply regret what I have done and the harm I know I've caused to many. I committed despicable crimes, Your Honor, and in the process betrayed my family, my friends, and colleagues in the Canadian forces. And the judge noted that he believed the apology was sincere. Okay, that judge must have been born just the day before that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Crown Attorney said that he would not seek to have Williams declared a dangerous offender. What? He said that his reasons for not pursuing this were that it would have prolonged the hearing and he called it superfluous since he believed Russell Williams would not be released on parole anyway because the facts of the case would keep the parole board from granting it. But then he said, Williams is simply one of the worst offenders in Canadian history. But it's not worth your time to just make sure that he can To take the extra step. Yeah. 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 Wow. Because probably he won't get out anyway, so who gives a fuck, right? Exactly. Another thing, I feel like his apology, quote-unquote apology, it's obviously something that has been told to him that he just regurgitated. However, the difference between being ashamed and being remorseful is that's a selfish feeling. When you're ashamed or embarrassed, it has to do more with you than them. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Because now people know. Ex- yes, exactly. He's sorry he got caught. Like, that's what it is. Andy Lloyd, Jessica Lloyd's brother, told the media after William's conviction that as long as he dies in jail, I'm happy. Jessica's mom sat in the front row for every court appearance and brought with her a framed picture of Jessica. Lloyd said that this was done to bring Jessica back into the case because they didn't want it to all be about Williams and what he'd done. They wanted it to be about Jessica and the other victims. Colonel Russell Williams was no longer Colonel Russell Williams. He was stripped of his commission, ranks, awards, everything by the Governor General of Canada on the recommendation of the Chief of the Defense Staff. His severance pay was discontinued and the salary he received after his arrest was seized. Williams' conviction also prompted the Air Force to incinerate his uniform and have his medals destroyed. Williams' Pathfinder and all of his treasures were destroyed as well. His sentence prevents him from ever owning a weapon, and he has to register as a sex offender for life. Williams was also required to submit DNA samples to the police databank and pay a $100 victim surcharge for each charge totaling $8,800. It's not a ton, though. No, it's not a ton. However, because of Canada's Pension Act in Section 30, Williams is still entitled to his pension. This act states that a person's pension is protected from court-awarded damages, meaning that Williams' victims have no right to any of his $60,000 a year military pension. The Canadian Forces Superannuation Act? yeah very specifically states that pensions are exempt from attachment, seizure, and execution and cannot be taken by the government or awarded to plaintiffs in a lawsuit. Does the wife get that? Does Mary Elizabeth get it? That's what I was wondering. I kind of figure that that's how he would set it up. I would hope. Yeah, that he'd set it up to just go to her. Go to her. Because she didn't ask for any of this. Yeah, I don't think she did. That's, yeah. And it's like, you know, you marry somebody you make all these financial decisions together to set you you know both up like that's her military pension too you know it's like that's just money that we're bringing in together yeah she support helps support him through his 23 uh-huh. 30 year military career yeah and then he goes and gets arrested and Fucks goes to left. jail yeah. yeah and it's like okay now i'm just out like i was counting on that man exactly so Russell Williams is currently, and for the foreseeable future, spending his days at Port Cartier in Quebec. Nice ice fishing in Quebec, eh? I do want to go fishing in Quebec. <laughs> it's a max security prison. I also read or heard that he's in solitary confinement. I heard the same thing. I don't know how long he's supposed to be in that. The Netflix series The Fall is reportedly based on the case of Dennis Rader. The Netflix series The Fall. What you, did I say? You leave S's off of a lot of words and sometimes add S's to words that don't have them. What did I say? You said the Netflix Siri, The Fall. <laughs> and my that bitch Siri didn't answer me. She still hasn't. She's, she's ignoring st- she the hell out of answers you. answers me. But if I say, like, I'm sorry, she's like, what? I didn't hear you. I'm like, I didn't talk to you. <laughs> I even tried. The Multiple old, times. You old bitch. Okay. <laughs> well, the Netflix series... The Fall is reportedly based on the case of Dennis Rader, BTK, but they also took some notes from the Russell Williams case. The writer of the show, Alan Cubitt, said Williams was unusual in that he was a decorated pilot in the Canadian military. Until his arrest, he had no previous convictions, but in fact, he had a long career of breaking and entering and stealing underwear. Somehow that escalated to killing, and he was ultimately convicted of first-degree murder, sexual assault, and forcible confinement. His method was very close to that of Spectre, which is the main character in the show. I took it as an indication I was getting it right in some way. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. There is currently... Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Um, there's currently no other up-to-date information on Russell Williams or his wife, but he's not eligible for parole. Did I do it again? No. What? <laughs> oh. Sorry.
0: I was
1: just laughing at how you read that whole thing and then you were like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sorry. I mean, who gives a shit? Alan. <laughs> <laughs> he's not eligible for parole until 2035. So it's safe to assume he's still in prison now with Paul Bernardo. Mm-hmm. It's BFF. Well, I hope that they can do fun things together, like learn how to crochet and sure, macrame. I don't know. Not in solitary confinement, you won't. No, too confining, too confining. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you guys gotta watch the Out of Towners. It's it's simply fantastic. It is great. But that's that's it. That is it. Dudes. Dudes and dudettes. Yep, that's it. So, you know, let us know what you think. Um, we'll we'll have some pictures up there so that you can see some of his underoos. They're not his underoos. No, well, they became his. Yeah, yeah. Definitely people were like, yeah, I don't want that back. Yeah, you go ahead and hang on to that. Yeah, you can keep that one, that's for sure. But I will say, you don't want to see it. No, it's just really, it's unsettling to look at. But also, it's just, so he's such an anomaly because it's like, okay, yeah, his parents got divorced and, you know, but he didn't have this, like, very difficult background. And he didn't have, like, there's just so many things that you can usually be like, okay, well, I can kind of see where... I don't know something like that would have happened or where there would have been this like turn or I don't know but it's just like he was so accomplished mhm he and he was older when he started than other serial killers like like almost 50s yeah and i mean a lot of times like when people you know when offenders are very young serial killers people who do commit like you know kind of like a second degree murder like in the heat of the moment kind of thing or whatever. Like, they're young and a lot of times because of rehabilitation, I mean, that's that's a thing that a judge will look at. What's their age and what's their age going to be when they get out? Are they likely to re-offend? Because a lot of people do age out of crime. Mm-hmm. But he's an anomaly. He he did not start until much later and that's very unusual. Yes, very, very unusual. But he's unusual for the worst reasons and I hate him. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye.